It's a great responsibility to be able to uh, called upon to minister the word, um, and yet I do it with uh, with joy. And uh, so let's turn with that to Psalm 42. Uh, there's a message of hope here that we see in the scriptures that we are called to. The song that we sang, God is my hope and my expectation, uh, that's precisely the uh, the message of this psalm uh, as well. Psalm 42. As the heart, that's the deer, as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and of the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. This concludes Psalm 42. A common human experience is that we sometimes feel up and sometimes we feel down. And the psalmists, the the, the book of Psalms is a great expression of those extreme ups and downs and the cycles of human feelings, human emotions. The theme of this song, the psalm, really it's, it's to be set to music. The, the introduction here talks about, um, it's addressed to the chief musician. Um, it's, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this word, a maschil, that's a, a Hebrew word that refers to a song of instruction. It's something that informs us and instructs us and teaches us. 
Uh, good music does that. It's not only something that we do to rejoice or to feel good and that sort of thing, but good music contains good truth and teaches us, and it uh, embeds itself in another aspect of the brain because it's an artistic expression. Um, and so there's certainly much benefit for music that contains biblical instruction, songs that contain that. The question that we can ask ourselves that I want you to think about in light of this psalm and the psalmist encouraging hope in God, what do you do to cope when life goes differently than you expect, when you are down? Who or what is your coping mechanism or mechanisms? Well, examine that a little bit more. The psalmist calls us towards God and hope in him for that. As I studied this psalm, I see four types of statements here. The psalmist is expressing four different kinds of things. And uh, for those that uh, I certainly encourage deep Bible study for everyone, to whatever degree that you can. And there's different tools and mechanisms that you can use to do that. And one of those is rewriting the text Or if you're using technology, you can copy and paste it, um, but arrange it in different ways to so that the different kinds of statements stand out to you. And you'll see the repeating theme and reoccurrence here. The four themes are, the psalmist expresses desire, he expresses his feelings, that's number two. Number three, he expresses truth, and number four, he's expressing the taunts that people are taunting him with. There's a few verses where people are accusing him or poking at him. And so he's expressing this. And in all of these things, he's pouring out his heart to God in these four different kinds of statements. And to categorize these, then, you could indent them differently on the page. You could highlight them in a different color or have a different color of text. And you can see the reoccurring theme that there is. And that's what I've done as part of my study in this psalm. The first one that we'll look at is his expression of desire. He opens the psalm with an expression of deep desire. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee, O God. He's expressing a deep desire that is so fundamental to our existence. We need water to drink, to, to survive. We drink water, and there have been times when we've been very thirsty. I mean, we've done something that's very strenuous, didn't, didn't have water for a period of time, and how great good uh, water tastes and quenches our thirst. The psalmist is using that analogy, an experience that we've all experienced, to describe his desire for deep relationship with God. It's satisfying in that way. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Is this true for you? How much do you desire God? We live in a world where there's many competing offerings, desires for other things, that the enemy is using to compete with your desire and our desire for God. And God desires for us. He has desires for us, too. It's not just that we desire him. In fact, he desired us and reached out to us long before we knew him or knew about him and knew his character. 
He has desires that desires relationship with us. And he went to great lengths through the message of the gospel, sending Jesus Christ, God with us in the flesh, to bridge that gap between mankind and God. And so, in effect, our desires back to him are really a response to what he has initiated in the first place and desires that response from us. May we desire God and not be distracted with the things. And we can look at our desire for God. The psalmist uh, proposes and expresses, and I'm going to say here this morning, this is, he is the best coping mechanism, if we could use that term. Uh, the next verse, uh, we're now in verse, uh, he said, well, when shall I come and appear before God? So he's expressing a desire here. He's got a problem that he wants to come before God and express, appear before his throne. And we can do that at any time. We come before the throne of grace. We don't have to go to a, a geographical place. We don't have to make a pilgrimage to some special place in the world in order to appear before God. He has made himself accessible everywhere. You are. Call out to him. He says, my tears, in verse 3, have been my meat day and night. He's in a deep uh, time of despair. We don't know exactly the reason for his despair. What is his problem? But what's making it worse is there are those that are, in a sense, bullying him in that problem state. He says here, while they continually say unto me, there's this they Where is thy God? So there are people that are poking fun at him, that are taunting him, that are egging him on, that are um, afflicting him with their words in this sense of where is your God? You 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 claim to follow God, but yet you're in you're down in the dumps or you're in this whatever situation you're in. Where where is God? Why didn't he rescue you? And these kinds of taunts, they're poking at him. And this is making his situation even worse. He's already in a bad place, but these people in their poking are making it even worse. And so he's calling out to God in this way. Have you felt that sometimes where you wonder, where is God in my situation? He should have prevented this circumstance. Where is he? Maybe you've thought of that about somebody else and have been the source of this poking As you poke at someone else and say, well, if you're a Christian, that shouldn't have happened to you. What's wrong with you? May we repent if we have such attitudes. Verse 4 is where he expresses a feeling now. The the feelings are expressed in verse 4, verse 6 and 7, verse 9. So these are places where he's expressing his feelings, and it's a reoccurring theme. And then interwoven with that is the expression of truth that counterbalanced that, as he recognizes that these are my feelings, but feelings are not necessarily truth. Typically, feelings are a false perspective. They, They put us in a place where we don't see the reality clearly. And so we're thankful that the psalmist, being in touch with God, also expresses truth. He says, well, I don't, I don't feel this way right now, but I know this is truth, so I'm going to hang on to that. Let's follow that. So he says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. That's an expression that, is, that his heart is just breaking. 
And he remembers what I would call the good old days. I had gone with the multitude. I went with them with the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Those were good times. Those were joyful times. I remember that. That's not what it is today. But I remember that. And then he asks himself a question. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Let's explore this a little bit more. What does he mean? What do these words mean? Uh, synonyms, being cast down, that's that's a strong statement here. It's almost like cast down is like somebody threw you down. It's a, an expression of being discouraged or being depressed, being in despair. Why art thou disquieted? That's a word that's disturbed. Someone's harassed, sad, turmoil, you're uneasy. Why is this happening? In a sense, it's a rhetorical question. He doesn't have a specific answer here. But this is a common human experience. Some will experience it to a greater depth than others. But nevertheless, this is the reality. The question why is not phrased. I don't, I don't see it as a question of it should never be thus with the believer. That's part of our human experience. But God has provided provision that we don't stay there for a very long time. That he's given us coping mechanisms. He's, he's given us solutions, equipping uh, methods to deal uh, with us in that situation. And so now he expresses truth in this second part of verse 5. So notice in this same verse, he's got the expression of feelings and the expression of truth. Hope in God, he's telling himself, hope in God. I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So what, what, what does this mean? The help of his countenance. So countenance typically is the demeanor of a person. What, what, what the person looks like, his, his face, the facial expression is sort of like this word countenance means. And so this implies the help of his countenance, the help of God's face, the help of God's favor, his smiling face upon us, his look of favor. This is an expression of deliverance. This is an expression of salvation. Salvation in the sense of being saved out of this situation. Of course, we can apply this word salvation in a broader sense um, as well. Salvation from sin. Salvation unto eternal life. God is the source of all of these things. And the psalmist is calling himself or reminding himself to hope in God. Hope, of course, is this desire of something good. He's in a bad place. He's hoping for something better. An expectation. There's there's a measure of expectation there. It's not just merely a false hope, but a, a genuine hope that something will be better. It will come better. And this hope uh, tends to feed towards joy, uh, good feelings, and so forth. There's lots of people, we, we, we use the word hope in lots of different contexts. We hope that a certain situation will work out uh, in a good way. But the word hope also in, includes the element of waiting. Hope, of course, is not something that's instantaneous. We wouldn't use the word hope if we already have what we were hoping for. Then hope's already irrelevant. Um, the Bible says something to that effect uh, as well, and we know that from personal experience. So there's this element of delay in receiving that which we hope for. Sometimes that delay is short. 
maybe a few hours or a few days. And other times, that hope is delayed and deferred for a very long time. So this implies then an element of patience in order for hope not to wane, patiently hoping for something, and an element of trust as well. But the object of his hope, he clearly sets in God. He says, hope in God. Now let's take a look why to hope in God. Why is that helpful? And how is he the best source of God? I don't think anyone's going to argue that we shouldn't have hope in God. But let's be more firmly anchored in that hope and see what the scriptures, how they describe the nature of God and the character of God and why it's so uh, necessary for our hope to be in God. we So one of those things, of course, is to have an accurate perception of who God is. And being human, I think, to a certain degree, all of us have somewhat a flawed view of who God is. That's just the nature of our limitations as, as human. Uh, and that's why it's important to come together as believers. That's why it's important to come and pray to, uh, pr- privately in our in our homes, uh, as well as here. Important to read the Scripture because that aligns our view, our perception of God, closer to the reality of who He is. If we don't do that, if we distance ourselves from the reading of the Word, from communicating with God in prayer, from the fellowship of believers, we more and more we will have a distorted view of who God is. That's just the nature of it. And so I encourage, if there are some that are here, that are distant from any one of those spiritual disciplines, you have some homework. Draw closer to God. And he will reveal himself to you in a more fuller measure and adjust, cut away, and shape your perception of him to be more in line with the reality of who he is. Maybe an obvious, unrealistic expectation of God, and I've used this statement before, you've probably heard it, sort of like a vending machine. Uh, God is all-powerful, and he's the source of everything, and he's uh, rich, and he can supply everything. Those are all true. And so we think, well, I can bring my meager coin into a vending machine because this is what I need from God. And maybe... As sometimes you may have experienced some vending machines, they don't respond the way you expect. You know, something gets stuck and you don't actually get what you thought you paid for or what you did pay for. And your money's gone and you didn't get it. And you feel, in a sense, robbed, even though it's, you know, small change. Have you felt that way or have sometimes you viewed God in those terms? You know, I've, I've, I've come, I'm, I've, I'm faithful in church, and I've prayed, and I've read my Bible today, and my day still went kind of sour. Like, that, that, that doesn't seem fair. What, what was the point of my devotions this morning when my day went bad anyway? Or uh, whatever other view you might expect from God, that you, you wanted this, and you desired this, and you expected God to come through for this, and it turned out differently than you expected. It's an unrealistic expectation of God. Remember, he's the one that's in charge. He's the master. And whatever we bring to him, we're not buying anything from him. He's the one that gives freely according to his desires and his plans for our life. So let's look at some scriptures that will help shape or reinforce our perception of who God is. Uh, 
Uh, we can turn to the Psalms for that as well. There's many scriptures that describe that. But we have Psalm 103 that makes a number of statements here, and that makes reference to other scriptures on the character of God. So first we'll look at the nature, the character of the kind of God that we are turning to, that the scriptures describe. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Stop there for a moment. We can see that there's a lot of, the psalmist describes lots of benefits of calling upon God and, and trusting in him. But yet at the same time, we could see that we have experienced where he didn't always deliver these when we thought we needed them or when we did need them. And there was a delay, maybe, and he wanted us to walk through a valley a period of time. There are some that are ill, for example. He says, well, who healeth all thy diseases? Well, there are some here that are sick. There are some that couldn't come because they're sick. And maybe the enemy is taunting them. Well, look, at well, this is what the scripture says. He's healing all your diseases. There must be something wrong with you because he hasn't healed you. Or not yet. Remember that God is sovereign and wise. And he will choose what to exercise and when. May we trust and hope in him and align our expectations our view of life, our, our vision for our future, for what his plans are. Let's look at the character of God. He says this in verse 8 here. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. This word mercy is numerous times repeated in this psalm. He's not, he hasn't dealt with us according to our sins or rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Here is a God, as a father, feels our infirmities. He does this through Jesus Christ, for we have an high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We read that in Hebrews. He feels it. And will lead us through that situation. So we serve a God that cares for us, that pities us, that feels our infirmities, and has the power and ability and capability to deliver. We read this in verse 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. This is a statement that describes his sovereignty and his omnipotent power. You know, the sovereignty of God is a large uh, statement, or shall we say, I would see it as an umbrella term, where there's a number of uh, definitions underneath that. Uh, Sovereign simply means supreme and high and above all. And that's true for God in a number of his attributes, in, uh, in his character, in his, merciful, in his mercifulness, and in his love, and so forth. He's supreme in all of those. 
but also in his power. Omnipotent is a word that we use to describe that, unlimited in power, but also in knowledge and in wisdom. He is supreme in all of those things. His kingdom ruleth over all. And for the believer, we can take great comfort in that. Because what that practically means is whatever situation you're in right now, that has not escaped God's sovereign rule. It's not as if things went out of control and he kind of lost his finger on that and the situation developed such as it is. And now you're in the situation that you are because God failed to control it. Or God failed to exercise limits on how it would go. No, he is sovereign and omnipotent and on top of the situation. Sometimes, from our perspective, it doesn't feel that way. We may wonder, why did he permit or even structure the circumstances such that they are? But remember, he is all-wise, and we're not going to understand his wisdom there's another statement in the scripture about as the heavens is high from above the earth, so are the Lord's ways and his thoughts. For in the, the prophet Isaiah describes it. My thoughts are not like your thoughts, and my ways not like your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts compared to your thoughts, and my ways compared to your ways, says the Lord. And so part of hoping and trusting in God is reminding ourselves of this fact. It might be hard for us really to understand that, but we do have some vivid Bible stories that describe that. You may, you may remember the story of Joseph, where regardless of his brother's evil actions, God's purposes were fulfilled in the life of Joseph. It was painful for him, very painful. And he, I'm sure Joseph could certainly relate to the statements in this psalm when he was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Can you imagine the hurt that he felt and the trauma that that happened in his heart as he's just, his whole world and relationship structure was just shattered. Taken then as a slave. Hanging on to his faith in God. And then falsely accused. I can just imagine the tormentor saying to him, where is your God? You were faithful all this. Where is your God? Why didn't he protect you from that? As he's sitting in a jail cell beside criminals, and he's not a criminal. He hung on to his faith in God. No doubt he was discouraged or depressed and disturbed and sad for those seasons, but reminded of himself, of God. But later on, he had the perspective, or he expressed the perspective, I don't know how much he had it throughout this time, as he is now ruler in Egypt, and his brothers come to him and are afraid. And he says this tremendous statement about, don't worry that you sold me into slavery and that I'm here in Egypt because of that. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And this is the marvelous aspect of the, the all-wise and omnipotent God that can even use, use evil intentions against you to fulfill his purposes 
in his plan. It might be hard for us to comprehend certainly how he can do that. It's certainly painful for us to go through that. It does not excuse sinful actions. It does not justify. Joseph's brothers were not justified in their sinful actions and uh, intentions of harming their brother. And God holds people accountable for their sinful actions. But we can take great comfort that there is nothing that anybody can do that can thwart God's plans. And therefore, as children of God, we can take great refuge in that. I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 8 a little bit, where the the Apostle Paul describes this confidence, this hope in God. Where he says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purposes. I want to draw your attention to this word word together, that all things, so all is all-inclusive. The good things that happen to us and the bad things that happen to us work together for good. Not necessarily individually. There'll be an individual circumstance that's really hard to bear. That by itself is not a good circumstance, but it works together with all of what God is working for good. But notice the good that is pointing to here, for good to them. So that's, in a sense, for our good, or it's happening to us for good, but also for the greater good, for the furtherance of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, we were talking about that in in Bible class, his dedication to the gospel, that even though it meant suffering to death, which he knew was going to happen, and a number of people predicted that for him, and he knew that as he's making the trip to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer and he's eventually going to die for the cause of Christ. And there were those well-meaning believers that says, well, you don't have to go there. Why, why would you go there and do that? Let's don't, don't go there. They advised against it. But he recognized that that was God's plan for him. He doesn't, didn't count his own life dear to himself as he realized the greater purpose was the furtherance of the gospel. And so for that purpose, my life is expensable. Because, he says even in Romans 8 here, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It's one of the verses here in Romans chapter 8. And he talks about um, being conformed and predestinated unto the purpose of his will. And so he concludes, is somewhat of a concluding statement here in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? We trust in God. We are his children for his child. Nobody can mess up your life. Isn't that tremendous comfort? Whatever happens, whether it's evil intended or accidents or illness or mistakes or poor choices. Our life will not be messed up according to God's plan because he is a redemptive God. Now, of course, we will go through pain and suffering. You know, we endure an accident or somebody intends evil and injures you or you make poor choices yourself and suffer the consequences of that. There is definitely suffering there and pain. And God grieves with that if it was a poor choice or the evil action and so forth. But we can have this confidence that his ultimate purpose and plan for your life personally 
will not be derailed. He doesn't have to go back to the drawing board. This is, oh, Dan made a critical mistake here. Poor judgment. And this is going to affect his whole family or going to affect his church or affect various people. What am I going to do now? God never finds himself in that situation because he knows and already has a plan on how to redeem every situation. May we take great comfort in that. The psalmist continues. Verse 6, expressing his feelings. Oh my God, why art thou cast down within me? Therefore I will remember thee from the land of Jordan, from the Hermonites, from the hill Mizar. So he's referring to specific uh, locations, um, probably where he was. If this is a psalm of David, it seems like a psalm of David to me, although the text does not specifically identify it that way. Um, the psalmist may have been there or knows something of significance of what that means. But he's describing how overwhelmed he is here in verse 7. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts, as, as if he's being overwhelmed like the waves of the ocean. Like totally overwhelmed with life. With either with responsibility or with situations that are unpleasant, uh, the things that are unfair, uh, unjust, um, whatever the case may be. Overwhelmed. We felt that, I'm sure. May we take comfort in God. Yet, and now verse 8, expression of truth. See how he just jumps back and forth between these things. Verse 8, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness. In this, is, there's this promise that God will command his loving kindness. Uh, the Hebrew word behind that is chesed. I've spoke about that before, commonly translated as mercy, giving, giving us something that we don't deserve. Here it's translated as loving kindness. In the daytime and in the night, his song shall be with me. The presence of God. And my prayer unto the God of my life. He's referring to very spiritual disciplines that help keep him on track, help keep him in the right perspective here. Good music. Singing, praise to the Lord, prayer are all very helpful, shall we say, coping mechanisms. And now might be the time to explore a little bit what are some coping mechanisms that we may be tempted to turn to. On the one extreme, we can view sinful behaviors as coping mechanisms, as escapism. Escapism from the reality of life because it's not pretty. People turn to alcohol. People turn to drugs. People turn to compulsive behaviors, sinful behaviors. Uh, pornography, for some, is a coping mechanism. Um, the, the whole craze about vaping, uh, another method of ingesting substances which can destroy you or hurt you, um, uh, tobacco um, and so forth, and various other sinful behaviors that people turn to as a means of coping with life that is unpleasant. It may seem to provide a temporary relief. It may seem to be a, a, an effective escapism, and some use some of these for their lifelong as coping mechanisms, and they seem to kind of get along fine. But God has something so much better in store for us. We can turn to things that maybe are a little bit more in the neutral category. Um, coping mechanisms somewhat ha may have a place, 
But be careful because they can become a drain and make things worse because they take on a life of themselves and become add to the problem rather than actually solving it. And so I'm going to, if you look at this continuum, shall we say, on the one side I'm describing sinful coping mechanisms. There's somewhat maybe of a neutral territory where we can, which we'll get into a little bit. And then there's more intentional equipping mechanisms. And so may we lean towards or gravitate towards genuine equipping mechanisms that are helpful in coping, but actually equip us to deal with the real life scenario that there is. That it's not just merely an escapism that, in a sense, makes us less equipped to deal with the reality. And an obvious example of that is when someone turns to alcohol. That then takes a life of its own as becomes an addiction and creates its own problems and doesn't solve anything. And the person just uses it as an escape mechanism but makes the real-life scenario so much worse. But there are things in the neutral category, shall we say, might not be explicitly sinful. There's the rise in the use of technology. Screen time is huge in our society. has some benefits. Social media and various platforms, things that are used to interact with people socially, to watch things, things that are interesting and so forth. But just the the rise in the use of um Compulsive screen time can become an escapism or a coping mechanism. There are ways to use that for the spiritual disciplines, reading the scriptures. You can read that on a screen. You can do research and biblical research and so forth on that. That's certainly a place for that. Or communicating genuinely with believers and encouraging one another or engaging in in debates about truth and error and so forth. Certainly. But take some evaluation. How are you using those platforms? Do you gravitate towards them as a coping mechanism, as an escapism method that just sort of helps make you feel good? And then it becomes and takes a life on its own because the, the amount of time that it can just rob from you, that God intends something better. Other forms of media, you know, watching movies. Uh, video gaming is a huge use of screen time. And then, of course, there's the whole aspect where it is definitely sinful, where it's just uh, violent and, and uh, des- describing or, or depicting everything that God is against, wrapped up into a video game that's, that's engaging and exciting and, and uh, um, gets your adrenaline going and maybe you feel it's a de-stressor and, and so forth. God has something much better in store for those that call upon him could be something as simple as shopping. Go spend some money, buy something that makes you feel good. That's an escape mechanism. But if it contributes to debt that's out of control, it actually makes the problem worse because then you get more depressed. And what's your coping mechanism? Well, then you go out and buy something else that temporarily makes you feel good. God has something much better in store for you that we'll call equipping mechanisms. And we've already touched on some of them. You know, prayer, reading the word, fellowship. We talked about one earlier uh, on the, the covenant of fellowship. You know, to pray with and for one another, sharing our burdens, sorrows, and joys. One coping mechanism, an equipping method mechanism, is to share that with other believers. Pray together and share that one with another. That we don't live as isolated silos, pretending to be perfect and having all things together, 
and judging one another when it doesn't look like that's the case for somebody else. It's that of being vulnerable and sharing one with another. Of course, there's healthy activities, going for a walk, exercise, and various kinds of things that, because we're physical beings and, and the functioning of our bodies affects the functioning of our mind, affects our viewpoint in life, uh, and, and so forth. Um, healthy activities, healthy food, healthy music, equipping mechanisms. Consider that as far as where that is in contrast to hoping in God. Verse 9, he expresses a feeling, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? He's expressing this. It seems that God has forgotten him. And this is important to, to, to not be afraid to express our feelings to God. The psalmists are great examples of that as he laments and pours out his heart before God. You know, there's other places to do that. People can uh, rant on social media and this pour out their poison in their soul and infecting other people. That's not the intention of coping in that way. We pour out our soul, but in appropriate ways before God and ask for our minds and our thinking to be refreshed and see him in his real light. Verse 10 again, he's referring to the, the taunt of the enemy. As, a, as with a sword in my bones, there's this poke. The enemies reproach him. They say daily unto me, where is thy God? Is there someone here who struggles to trust in God as a Christian? You're not yet a Christian. Because maybe the situations that you see have happened in your own life or maybe others. And you wonder, how, how can I trust a God like that? that? That just isn't working out. And you've got why questions and you've got where questions. I encourage you to talk to God about those questions. Talk to another believer that you can trust and step through those questions because there are meaningful, genuine answers. Because what alternative is there? <clears throat> Whatever other mechanism there is, it's connected somewhere to idolatry. I've heard the, meth- uh, the uh, one definition of idols is something that you turn to when you are sad, when you're lonely, when you're depressed, when you're in despair. A coping mechanism, in a sense, is a form of idolatry. Or, when you want to celebrate, what do you turn to when you want to celebrate? You know, those that, are, that turn to alcohol as a coping mechanism, they'll, they'll turn to alcohol when they want to celebrate. It's not a celebration unless you got to have alcohol. Well, maybe that's connected to idolatry for you. Be careful about that. Come to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer for every situation. As Jesus has the invitation, come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, I don't know what situation, I don't know the the situation that the psalmist was describing in particular of what was making him down and there could be a host, host of situations here that are, life has turned out differently than you expect. You know, maybe you expected to be married by now and you're not and it's really difficult Maybe you're in a marriage that you didn't expect it to be this way. I married another Christian and, and things are just going really rough here. Did, did I do something wrong? I, I don't understand. How can this be? And you're depressed because of that. Or maybe things turn out differently than your, with your children that, that what you expected. You raised them how you thought was the best way to raise them and they're just turned out differently, causing you heartache and disappointment. 
or other family relationships, or things turned out differently financially than you expected, and you're just struggling and struggling, or health situation, whatever it might be. Be comforted that in every situation, God is working out his purpose, wants to work out his purpose. Trust in him. Place your hope in him. Amen.